Welcome to the second of three parts of this roundtable discussion with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Rational Management of Hospitalized Patients with Hyponatremia, Application to Patient Cases. These podcasts were produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Atska America Pharmaceutical, Inc. In part two, Professor Joseph Dasta discusses issues related to hyponatremia in critically ill patients with Drs. Amy DeZerba and Jody Pepin. In segue into the critically ill patient population, hyponatremia is common. And Amy, in your critical care practice, is it important to treat the numeric value of the sodium, the presence of symptoms in that patient, or both? When hyponatremia develops quickly over several hours, the ability of the brain to adapt is exceeded and cerebral edema will occur. Thus, the presence of severe symptoms such as seizures or respiratory arrests are most common with an abrupt decline in serum sodium concentrations and should be treated aggressively to prevent brain death from cerebral edema regardless of the numeric value. Very rarely will patients with chronic hyponatremia develop these severe neurological symptoms, even in extremely low serum sodium concentrations. Therefore, it is more important to aggressively treat the patient that presents with neurological symptoms rather than treating the number. So are the vasopressin receptor antagonists, a new class of drugs called VAPTANs, useful in correcting severe hyponatremia in the ICU, where we may define that as a serum sodium less than 120 milliequivalents per liter. Well, treatment regimens for hyponatremia should always focus on the underlying pathophysiology of the disease. Our vasopressin receptor antagonists are indicated for the treatment of euvolemic or hypervolemic hyponatremia, not for hypovolemic hyponatremia. These agents are an attractive therapy for patients suffering with edema in which no other therapies such as fluid restriction with or without diuretics have been successful. The VAPTANs, if you will, do provide an increase in the excretion of free water without affecting the excretion of electrolytes. These agents should not be used in patients suffering from hyponatremic emergencies as there is very little data in this patient population. Some patients may not respond well enough and there still is the potential for overcorrection. So in terms of correcting the sodium, uh, as you've mentioned, the rate of sodium correction is important. What are the factors that affect the rate of serum sodium correction? The two factors that would influence the rate of serum sodium correction is the chronicity of the hyponatremia and the presence or absence of symptoms. The presence of neurological symptoms in the setting of hyponatremia often indicates a rapid decline in serum sodium. In this case, of acute hyponatremia, which would be less than 48 hours, rapid correction of the serum sodium is warranted to prevent cerebral edema. Good points. Well, how frequently should the serum sodium be measured in these patients with severe symptomatic hyponatremia in the ICU setting? That's an excellent question, and that's one area that I believe pharmacists can play a role in in helping the laboratory and the prescribers help work together to have serum sodium concentrations come back in an appropriate time, identifying which patients need to have rapid turnaround with their serum sodium concentrations. At minimum, serum sodium should be checked at least every four hours during treatment because it's particularly important to ensure that the rate of correction is desirable and that the therapy can be appropriately adjusted in a timely manner. These guidelines are really good to think about for the ICU population. 
Well, Jody, what about the question of how frequently should they be measured in the patients that are outside of the ICU with maybe more mild to moderate hyponatremia? Well, most of the time, the patients that are on the med surge units are there because they aren't having significant neurological adverse events to their hyponatremia. They usually have some chronicity associated with their hyponatremia. In addition, the nursing to patient ratios, like in the ICU, are one to two patients per nurse. And on the floor, they can be six to nine patients on any given day. And so to have a patient who requires frequent monitoring is not really something that a lot of nursing practice policies allow. They can't be on the floor in the first place if they require very frequent monitoring like every hour, every two hours, or sometimes even every four hours. The nurses just can't get the labs drawn and get the results back, make adjustments, do neuro checks and all that. They just, the workload is too much. So, uh, and most often times these patients aren't on these medications like the vasopressin receptor antagonists or 3% saline. They're not allowed to be on the med surge floors. They have to be in an ICU to get them because of the, the monitoring. So, most of the time, these patients are just getting fluid restriction or, you know, stopping their medication or maybe getting a slow, normal saline drip to increase their sodium load. The frequency of monitoring for the sodium, while it probably is a good idea to do it every four hours, every four to six hours, even to make sure that in these slow correction cases that you're doing it at least two to three times a day to be safe, to make sure that you're not overcorrecting these patients too rapidly. But the policies are different based on whether the patient's in the ICU or on the floor. In terms of monitoring, then, there are a number of of point-of-care testing devices, things like glucose and, and other compounds that can provide results within a matter of minutes as opposed to hours necessarily from the clinical labs. Thinking about the ICU patient population, do you think point of care test for rapid results from sodium may be needed in your population in the ICU? Well, Joe, ICU clinicians always want everything within five minutes, if not yesterday. So sure, if we could get a point of care test that would give us our rapid results, we would certainly entertain that. However, it is important to think about what the information is really telling us is we've had in our institution, our point of care testing does give us serum sodium concentrations, but there is a significant difference uh, from what the laboratory is reporting. And we have just not figured out what point of care testing is the most optimal to provide us Mm -hmm. with the same results. So I think until the point of care testing systems are refined, we will just need to go with the laboratory testing currently. There was an interesting study in the ICU population that revealed that when the sodium values fluctuate during their ICU stay by more than 6 milliequivalents per liter in a normal atremic patient, it was associated with a higher mortality. It makes one wonder, with computerized health information systems, might there be the need for a smart alert for alerting the clinician about the sodium change over an ICU stay? Or is one study really enough to dictate that kind of development, do you think? I'm not sure that one study uh, would be the foundation for creating a smart alert. And the only reason why I'm sensitive to that is because there are so many alerts already in the system that you do have to balance out alert fatigue making sure that your alerts are the most important, and I'm not discounting that fluctuations in sodium are not important, but perhaps there might be another way to identify those fluctuations or control them as opposed to an alert. 
Yeah, for instance, I think a pharmacy informatics uh, system that utilized clinical decision support, like in one of these systems mm-hmm. that can pull in laboratory, real-time laboratory data and shoot it to the desktop of a pharmacist. There are several on the market that allow you to build a rule, and the rule could be, you know, either bring in my sodium levels every day while I'm monitoring the patients on my unit, or if I there's a drop of X number milliequivalents per liter in my patient sodium, then send that to my desktop. It's not so much in the form of an alert where it's in the process of you entering an order where you would have to stop, where alert fatigue comes into play, where you would just blow by it and miss the alert that was trying to tell you something really important. It's more of a clinical decision support that comes to your workplace, your workstation or your desktop or your tablet that tells you, hey, you want to put this on your list to look at today. I think that those things are out there. I think they're capable. And I think this article, uh, this study was very interesting that, you know, I probably would consider just for the fun of it to shoot that into my workflow and have a look at it for a while and see what comes of it. So we've learned a lot in the last even five years about hyponatremia, its significance, its prevalence, and its outcomes. This concludes this part of the roundtable discussion. If you'd like to hear more about managing hyponatremia in hospitalized patients, please listen to the other two parts of this podcast series. To access other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash hyponatremia cases.